Good morning, everyone, and welcome to um, the Advanced Africa 2023 conference. And uh, we're going to have a good time over this next few days. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 8, and we'll be reading from verse 26. Our conference theme, as you would know, is Sikeleli Africa, because God's heart, God's passion, is that Africa would experience every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this blessing comes through the church. And the title of this message, Timber, could you just raise this up for me a couple of notches, please, while I carry on. And uh, the title of this morning's message is The Gospel to the African. And we will be looking at a pivotal moment in the blessing of Africa. Acts 8 verse 26, that's perfect, thank you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, you know the one that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip has been in Samaria, and the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip about this road that went about 60 miles south from Jerusalem to Gaza, and then from Gaza it continued on through Egypt and into Africa. The attention of Luke, the writer of Acts, at this point in the story, sound team, anything I should do or just carry on? Feels quite echoey. Just carry on? Okay, great. So the attention of Luke, the writer of Acts, at this point in the story, focuses his attention on Africa. In the words of the great Colombian theologian Shakira, it's time for Africa. Now, in many ways, in many ways, this was not an unexpected development because it's always been God's heart. Over 700 years before this story, God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Isaiah 49, verse 6, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light. Remember that prophetic word? a few moments ago, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of this earth. Many of us are in this room because we have demonstrated a burning passion for our local church. That's a good thing, but it's too small a thing. Many of us are here carrying burdens for our towns and cities to be transformed. That's a good thing, but it's too small a thing. Many of us are passionate about our nation. But even that is too small a thing. And this morning, God wants to lift our gaze from Je to see the great continent of Africa and the one billion people that make up this continent. This last week, a few of us gathered, just a couple of days ago, actually, in Johannesburg for a time of prayer. Andre Ntambwe, who leads the, one of the common ground uh, churches, he was leading us in prayer, and prophetically he just began to name nations on this African continent that our family of churches has not touched yet. Nations that have been classified as hard to reach. And then on the back of that, Andrew Butterworth, who leads uh, one of the Johannesburg churches, he got up and he reminded us of a picture of a, let me stand this way, of a bow and arrow. And if you can imagine, this, is the Afri this bow and arrow are superimposed over a map. 
And if you can imagine a map of Africa, and the wooden bit of the bow stretches from Johannesburg up to maybe uh, Kenya and Uganda, and the string bit is stretching back to Madagascar, ready to be fired up across the continent. That's kind of a picture of where we are as an advanced Africa region of churches. That's something of what God wants to speak to us about over these days. So Philip started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki. That's not a personal name, but it's a title, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Small diversion. What happened is the, 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 the queen of the king was the one who actually had the power. Because they said that the king of Egypt, he's descended from the sun god, and therefore he's above mundane affairs like ruling a nation. And so that responsibility was given to the queen mother. It's like the married couple married 50 years, the giving some marriage advice. People say, how did you stay married so long? They said, our one great secret is this. We decided early on in our marriage, first year of our marriage, He's going to make all the big decisions. She's going to make all the small decisions. Interviewer asks, well, how's that worked for you over 50 years? He says, it's worked great. 50 years and not a single big decision yet. <laughs> well, it worked kind of like that in Egypt. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, picture this, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of the Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I'll get this. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life? was taken up from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news, the gospel about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. In about 400 A.D., a preacher by the name of John Chrysostom 
nicknamed the golden-mouthed preacher, contrasted the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 and the conversion of Saul in chapter 9. And he says, verily, one has reason to admire this eunuch because he had no supernatural vision of Christ like Paul did, yet he believed. So great a thing is the careful reading of Scripture. Shall we pray for the Spirit's help as we read these Scriptures carefully? God, how we need you. Thank you for this said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. According to the new Bible commentary, a more exotic person could hardly be imagined. I want us to consider who this African is. The first thing we learn about them is that this African is Ethiopian. Now, when you read that, don't think geographical modern-day Ethiopia. That term would have been used by Luke to refer to anywhere really in Africa south of Egypt. And most likely, this would have been a black-skinned Nubian gentleman from what we would now call modern-day Sudan. He is an African. Now, before we go any further in this message, we need to define the African. And for the purpose of this message, we will define African as those who live in and love the great continent of Africa. Can we work with that? Is that okay? You don't have much choice because that's the basis of this coming message, but that's, I'm glad that there's a consensus in the room. African is those who live in and love the great continent of Africa with all of its potential and possibilities and pains and problems. The problems were well captured by Leonardo DiCaprio in the old movie 
Blood Diamond. How many of you watched Blood Diamond? In Blood Diamond, Leonardo DiCaprio has a fake, terrible Rhodesian accent. And, uh, but when he's talking about the possibilities and the pleasures and the promise and the pain and the problems of Africa, he introduces one of the characters in the movie to a phrase. And that phrase is T-I-A, my friend, which stands for this is Africa. And that's an all-encompassing term. It means that if you're sitting having supper at night in Johannesburg and all of a sudden all the lights go off, don't panic, my friend, because T-I-A, this is Africa. And you can use it when you're driving on the road and you meet a pothole. Don't be surprised, my friend. TIA, this is Africa. Angus Buchan speaks of how when the sun rises on the African plain, the lion wakes up knowing that that day he's got to outrun a gazelle, otherwise he's not going to eat. And the gazelle wakes up knowing that he's got to outrun a lion, otherwise he's not going to see sunset. Welcome to Africa my friends. What I, what I want us to unlock as we consider who is the African from Scripture and church history is that Africa has come to be associated with certain challenges and pains and problems, but it was not always so. In his series of books, Lord of the Rings, the bad guy is a guy called Sauron. And J.R. Tolkien says something interesting about Sauron through one of the characters. He says that even Sauron was not evil in the beginning. There are things that are true about Africa, circumstantially right now. But it wasn't necessarily so in the beginning. And this morning as we go through scripture, I want us through a biblical lens to gain something of heaven's perspective on this African and by extension on Africa and you and I. What's the next thing we learn about the African? He's Ethiopian. The second thing we learn is that he is educated. How do we know this? Because he's the finance minister of a great empire. Got to be educated to do that. But beyond that, he is reading. Now, in antiquity, Literacy levels were, at best, 10 to 20% of people could read effectively, more than just write their name. This African has got a scroll. His native language, I think, would have been called Meroe. He'd have been reading in Greek out loud to himself. That would easily have put him in the top 3% of the world's educated at that point in time, ladies and gentlemen, meet the African. Where am I heading with this? Where I'm heading is that it is not un-African to be educated. This is, this is important because popular opinion and even so-called leaders of the free world will send messages that it is un-African to be educated. 
I'll give you just one example of how this plays out. There's a great book up there by a guy called Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Blink. And in Blink, he describes a test that was done. Take a group of African Americans, divide them into a test group and a control group, give them both the same test to do. The only difference is with the test group, you ask them to write their race at the top of the paper as part of the information they give about themselves. With the control group, you don't. Only difference between the two groups, only two differences. The first is, one was asked to remind themselves of the fact that they're African-American before doing the test. That's the first difference. The only other difference is that that same group that wrote African-American on their test paper scored much lower than the control group. What am I trying to get at here? I am trying to talk about what we understand when we hear the word African. Because if we are the Africa region of the advanced movement, this has massive implications for how you see yourself and for how you see those who we have been called to reach. Rigby came up to Africa to Kenya. He sat with our uh, staff. He told a story that I love retelling. And from here on, Rigby, I'm going to stop saying you told me to it. I'm just going to say, here's a story. Thank you. Rabbi Aktiva, he's um, walking through the Middle East in uh, just kind of, uh, you know, around the time of Jesus, maybe just before, just after. And uh, he's lost in thought on his way home. Instead of turning left, he turns right. And all of a sudden, he finds himself at the gate of a Roman garrison. And he's still lost in thought, but he looks up, and the first thing he hears is a Roman centurion barking out to him, Who are you? And why are you here? Rabbi Activa, he's quite taken aback, but, but he says, uh, How much do you earn? And the centurion, he's a little bit upset. He says to him, no, 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 who are you and why are you here? The rabbi says to him, no, just tell me how much you earn. He says, I, he's a bit, I, I, I earn two drachmas a week. And rabbi Activa says to him, I will double that if you'll stand at the front door of my house and ask me those two questions every morning. Who are you and why are you here? I'm talking to a room full of Africans this morning to say, who are you and why are you here? And to remind you, it is not un-African to be educated. Now, side note, even if we are uneducated, <laughs> we are the kind then that God chooses because he chooses not those who are wise by the world's standards, but those who are foolish and that's why even unschooled, ordinary men, Acts 4 tells us, who had been with Jesus, were mighty in the purposes of God. But this morning, I don't want you to confuse your current reality with your identity. Ryan was reminding us this last week that leaders, and we're all leaders in this room, leaders do two things. We define reality and we bring hope. 
And as we talk about who is the African, I want to uh, define reality, not run away from it, define reality, but with that, bring hope. It is not un-African to be educated. I can give you three cameos of this from church history. First on the screen is a picture of a place called Alexandria. The eunuch was likely reading a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament called the Septuagint. When you're reading your commentaries, the Septuagint will sometimes be abbreviated LXX because it comes from the Greek for 70. And history tells us that it took a team of 70 scholars 70 days to translate the whole of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And that was done 200 years before Christ on African soil in Alexandria. Why is that important? It's important because, Kate, can I borrow a sermon prop? Because you don't need to have lived or uh, done ministry for long in Africa before people will tell you that this book is a Western book. They just haven't read it. Africans were translating this book from Hebrew into Greek 2,200 years ago. Exhibit A. Exhibit B, ladies and gentlemen, is a man on the screen. Sorry, I lost your page. A man on the screen called Athanasius. You can see he lived around 300 AD. He lived about 78 years, and for those 78 years, he was pretty much the sole defender of what we now call Christian orthodoxy. And for that, he paid a price. He was exiled five times in his life. And because of that, he earned, there was a phrase that came up, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world, because he said when it comes to the truth of God's word, if it must be Athanasius against the world, so be it. He stood against Arianism, which is a heresy about Jesus still being taught by the Jehovah's Witnesses today. Athanasius was one of the foremost opponents saying, no, 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 this is who Jesus is, fully God and fully man. Why do we bring him up? Because he did that from African soil. His nickname was the Black Dwarf. Apparently, you could call people that back then. <laughs> the second thing that he did is he was one of the first, again, back to the Bible, it's a West. He was, one of the, he was one of the first to define the canon of the New Testament, the 27 books that today we call the New Testament. He was one of the first to put that down in writing and say, this should be in Scripture and everything else shouldn't. Exhibit C, we have St. Augustine of Hippo in North Africa from what is now Algeria. He provided the most powerful non-biblical stimulus to the Reformation. These men were educated, not just that, but Africa has a rich history that goes back thousands of years in championing the gospel. And friends, we're still doing it today. When churches or branches of the church in the West say, actually, uh, we're, we're going to now allow this in our churches. Brothers and sisters today on the African continent are saying, no, 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 you've got to come back to Scripture. We can get into a mindset that the West has a copyright 
on the gospel. Maybe less so in our churches, maybe in a different way in our churches, but I can tell you on the, in Kenya, we were sitting down with a friend, and uh, this friend said to us, um, we were, were talking about how we can help, help, them, help them start a church. And he said, yes, please bring us help. He said, we're going to send you help. And he said, please just make sure that it's someone who has a missionary heart. This is us sitting in Nairobi. We said, yes, all of us have a missionary heart. We will send you people from our church with a missionary heart. And this guy starts to, he's like, no, no, I, I mean a missionary heart. He said, yes, yes, we are on a mission for God. And then he says, uh, and then after, after going this way around the bush three times, we said to him, are you saying what we think you are saying? He said, yes. He said, this is Nairobi, please don't send us any Kenyans. We want people from overseas to bring the gospel to us. Oh, it's alive and well. When we're waiting for the next song from the big four in the West. And I, I love all those songs. Don't, don't, not, don't hear what I'm not saying today. What I'm saying is this mentality can creep in that we have to, that, that, that the gospel's got the co copyright, that the West is the, is the custodians of the gospel. No, friends, it was not always so. Who are you? Why are you here? Last thing we see about this African, well, a couple more things, but this African was wealthy. How do we know that? Well, he, uh, he was in charge of the treasury of the Kandaki. He owned a scroll, which would have been very rare in those days. Most people in those days walked. The more well-to-do rode animals. This guy is rolling in a chariot reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Go back one, Damon. What am I saying? I'm saying it's not un-African to be wealthy. Am I preaching the prosperity gospel? No. But I am saying it's not un-African to be wealthy. Is Africa right now a low to middle income continent? Yes. But that's different from understanding that it will always be so or it has always been so. It is not un-African to be wealthy. Low income, middle income might be our present reality. But don't confuse your present reality with your identity. Because it was not always so. It's not un-African to be wealthy. In fact, if you Google the richest man to ever live, he is that guy up on the screen. His name is Mansa Musa. Haven't got the exact figures, but apparently compared to Elon, Elon Musk, compared to this guy, Elon Musk has loose change. He was emperor of Mali in the 1300s with his empire spreading from Nigeria to Senegal. Apparently he was a Muslim because he went on a pilgrimage to Mecca and he took a caravan of 60,000 men and women from royal officials to camel drivers and slaves. Get this, in that caravan of 60,000 men and women, everyone, including slaves, was dressed in Persian silk and gold. And with that entourage, this is the next image over there, just to cap 
stimulate our imaginations. He was also accompanied by almost 100 camels, each carrying more than 100 kilos of precious metals. What am I saying? I'm saying yes. Africa is a low to middle income con continent. But it wasn't so in the beginning. Therefore, it cannot be what defines us as a people or a continent. The last thing we learn about this gentleman is that he was a eunuch. The term is used five times in this, in this narrative. What does it mean that he was a eunuch? It means that he was a castrated male. And what happened in those places at those times is that if you were a non-royal person, but you wanted to get ahead in your career and get into a place of working amongst the royals, the royal family didn't want you getting up to nonsense. And so to be a high-ranking official in a court in those times, you had to be castrated. And so presumably there came a point in this man's life where he said, okay, to get to there, I'm willing to undergo castration. And with that would have come freedom to work in the royal courts. But with that also would have come the reality that the Mediterranean peoples at those times would mock eunuchs, saying that they were as you can imagine, deficient in manliness. Beyond that, as people who've lived on Africa for any amount of time would understand, identity in those days was wrapped up in having children and your children having children. And this eunuch, at some point in his life, would have said, I'm willing to forego that. It's important we understand who this African is. Because he was a eunuch, even though he went on a very long journey to Jerusalem, when he arrived in Jerusalem, Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 tells us that no eunuch may enter the assembly of the Lord. Can you imagine that? He'd have traveled months probably to get to Jerusalem and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And most likely at the door, he was told, if you are a eunuch, you're not allowed past this door to enter the worship of the people of God. I want us to understand who this eunuch is. And now more briefly, what did he hear and what did he experience? What did he hear? Acts 8 verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand? Philip asked, how can I? Come up, explain it to me. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. A familiar text, I know. But I want to remind us of something that St. Augustine of Hippo said in North Africa. 
he's reputed to have said, God seems nearer to people when he speaks their language. And I want us to understand this morning how the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, was speaking the language of the eunuch. And this has massive implications for what you and I preach on a Sunday morning and how you and I counsel from Sunday through to Saturday. Because I want you to understand what he heard. You see, he was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And the, the Holy Spirit could have highlighted the bit that says that Jesus bore our sin on the cross. And how the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That is the gospel. But it's not exactly what this eunuch most needed to hear. I want you to understand this. Had the eunuch heard that, I think he still would have been saved. But I want you to understand the operations of the Spirit in speaking to this man in a language, not Greek, I'm talking about in an application of the gospel that he could understand. Watch this. said he was, Jesus was like a sheep led to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. I want you to use your sanctified imagination right now. I want you to see Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Silence, not complaining like a sheep before its shearer. And I want you to imagine a young Sudanese man being led to the removal of his manhood without complaining like a sheep before its shearer is silent. The genius of the Holy Spirit's operation for the African in this text is that when this African opened up the scriptures, he saw in these scriptures a savior who looked like him. And that made all the difference. In contemporary culture, it's part of the reason for just the excitement around the Black Panther and Wakanda. Now, I grew up, and most many of you would have, and Superman was great, wasn't he? But it was something special to African hearts. When finally there was a hero, even a make-believe hero, like me. It's the African quandary of going shopping for a doll for your daughter in the shops. And they all look like Barbie. <laughs> but then knowing the joy of finding a doll that you can give to your daughter that looks like her. That's what the Ethiopian saw as he opened up this text. It says, in his humiliation, Jesus was deprived of justice. It's 
eunuch understood humiliation. And there's no African who doesn't understand the ideas of humiliation, what it means to be deprived of justice. I could give you 22 examples right now. We don't have time. One brief one. It's the humiliation of visa applications. When people want to come to my homeland, Zimbabwe, we say, come, come, just pay as you enter. But when I want to go back there, they say, wait, stop three months before. Who are you? Where do you come from? What's your mother's name? What's your father's name? How much do you earn? And then at the last page, don't you love the bit where they say, just tell us the truth. Are you coming here to commit genocide, torture, or terrorism? There's a humiliation with that. I'm, and I'm, I'm not here preaching about visa policies. I'm talking about a Savior who looks like us. A Savior who understands. be deprived of justice. We know what it is like to live in countries where you think, okay, that's going to the courts. That does not mean justice is going to come about. This says of Jesus, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch was reading this and thinking, I understand what that is. So he says to Philip, who is he talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip says, you won't believe this. But in the sovereignty of God, there is a Savior who looks like you and understands you. How does this apply in our lives? I'm trying to bring it into a land as quickly as possible so I'll get more and more direct with your permission. It means it's not enough to just copy and paste things from the Gospel Coalition website or the latest John Piper sermon and deliver that to the people of Africa. I love John Piper. I, 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 I quoted him yesterday in God First. I love Tim Keller. I love the Gospel Coalition. But what I'm saying is they are not the ones called to preach the gospel to the billion people of Africa. And they cannot show Africa like Africans can, a Savior who looks like them. That's what set the eunuch's heart on fire. The historian Irenaeus tells us that this Ethiopian, he went on his way in joy. And he shared the gospel and a couple of centuries later, there's a church there that most likely this man started. For clarity, I'm not saying go and burn your John Stock commentaries. I have more Western commentaries in my laptop than a big room can hold. But I want us to understand that Africa needs to see a savior for all peoples and a savior who can identify with the needs of this continent. What did he experience? Acts 8 verse 29, my final point. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Pictures up on the screen, a baptism we did a while back. Her name, that's Damaris. She's uh, leading worship tonight with, um, uh, with the uh, East African Malagasy band. That's her husband, Damaris. They are baptizing Rose. Rose is um, on our church staff team. She's a coder, a child of deaf adults. So she actually, she can hear, but she only started speaking when she was eight years old because she grew up in a deaf home. And we were sitting in our staff meeting just saying, hey, just tell us about significant points on your, on your spiritual journey. She said, well, one for me was being baptized, and that's her being baptized over there. We said, Rose, why was that significant for you? And I could ask you, what is, what is happening over here? What is it a picture of? I was interested that Rose said, you know, before being baptized, I didn't feel like a member of the church family. But after being baptized, I felt like one of the children in the family. What am I trying to say? You see, you could say to Rose, the gospel is three things. Very briefly. You could say that that baptism is a picture of the guilt of your sins being washed away. Isn't that good news? And that is the gospel. But it's not what was most powerful in the gospel for Rose. You could say what's happening in baptism is that just like Egypt went through the waters of baptism and their enemies were washed away. Baptism is a picture of that, yes. It is a picture of that. And that is the gospel, but it's not what Rose most needed to hear. What was important and powerful for Rose was us baptizing her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and saying to this orphan heart, you're one of the family. And as we go up into the great continent of Africa, we're going to need new weapons of righteousness in the left hand and in the right. Because it may be that we've become accustomed to a particular expression of the gospel. And I believe any expression of the gospel is powerful. But if we want to communicate to people in a language that they can understand, we need to take a lesson from the Ethiopian eunuch. I'd love the band to come on up. I'd love us to get ready to uh, pray in a moment and wrap this time together up. This Ethiopian eunuch. Oh. Imagine this. Ethiopian unit comes and says, oh, I want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Someone at the temple gate in Jerusalem says, no, you can't come in. And maybe the eunuch might have said, but, I, but I, 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 I love the scriptures. I've studied the scriptures. I've come a long way. And maybe the point of 
ultimate humiliation would have been saying to this eunuch, this eunuch, to be a man amongst the people of God, you must be circumcised. Are you circumcised, eunuch? getting back into his chariot on the way home. The stirring of the Spirit of God, the same stirring that's in this room towards the great nations of Africa, came upon Philip to intercept this man as he's reading Isaiah. And this man experiences, first through God's Word, a Savior who identifies with him completely. And out of that revelation, as they come to water, understanding that the sign of the old covenant was circumcision, and that there's not much I can do about that, but glory to God, the sign of the new covenant is baptism. And this eunuch turns to Philip, says, I've never been circumcised. I've never been allowed into the assembly of the people of God. But what is to stop me from being baptized? And as he went down into those baptism waters like Rose did 2,000 years later, he didn't just hear the gospel. He didn't just understand the gospel, friends. He felt the gospel. He experienced the gospel. And we are to be a people who put the gospel on full display to light up this con con continent with the good news of a Savior who cares for all people and has forgotten none. White, black, yellow, Jew, Gentile, educated, barbarian. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a gospel. What a call. Shall we stand together? I wonder whether um, we could just break up into twos and threes. We just pray for one another. Pray our best prayers. Pray that God would speak to us like the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Let's pray that God will put new weapons in our hands over these coming days. New relationships. New revelations. Let's ask for a fresh impartation of spiritual gifts for one another for the blessing of this great continent of Africa. Let's just pray for a couple of seconds, then we'll come back together to worship.
just a few more moments, then I'll gather us back for prayer and the final worship, worship verse. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hear our prayers. Come, Holy Spirit. Impart gifts. Prepare hearts. Power of your Spirit. You know what's needed, Lord. You know each one here, Lord. ready to wrap it up in a moment. Let's keep our gaze on Jesus. Jesus, we keep on availing ourselves to you. We say by your Spirit, would you come and have your way amongst us, do a work in us that moves us along in your purposes to see light come to the nations of the world, to see light come to the communities represented in this room and through these churches and towns and cities and nations to see something awesome spread right across the great continent of Africa. God, would you bless Africa? <laughs> Not because we are anything, but because you are worthy to be praised by one billion people, to be lifted up above the idols of this continent, to be acknowledged as supreme and sovereign, as the only worthy Savior of the world, the only name that is above every name, Jesus. Oh, we make much of you this morning. Be glorified. Be lifted up. Keep pouring out your spirit, we pray. Let's just join together in the powerful words of this song, proclaiming the name of the Savior unlike any other Savior. Let's worship.
Yes, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can speak such a powerful name. We thank you, Lord God, for your saving work that you finished and completed and left nothing undone. And Lord God, even as we were listening to the message today, we pray, Father, help us to live, even as we live in Africa, in a way that glorifies you, to love Africa the way you love Africa, and give us the language to speak that Africa understands. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can take your seats for a few seconds. Well, that's a bit overambitious. We're going to be heading out now for lunch. But before then, I'm going to invite Luke Harper. Here we go. Here we go. That was quick. That was, I wasn't expecting that. Thanks so much, Temba. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. If I haven't met you, as Temba said, my name is Luke, and I've just got a brief little bit of an announcement to make regarding the sessions. Firstly, Mbonisi, that was exceptional, mate. Thank you so, so much. Ah. Who are you as an African, and why are you here? Both on the continent, as well as in this room right now as leaders. We're gathered, among other things, why are we here? We're here to be equipped. And uh, in, the, in the previous, well, the, the past few months, a few of us have been scratching our heads, praying and planning about what is it that God wants to equip in us? What sort of things does He want to release and do in our churches in the next year or so? And uh, we settled on uh, six seminars that we want to invite you to partake in. You've got two opportunities to choose from those uh, six. And, uh, and I want to invite the six seminar leaders to make their way up to the front. And uh, what we want to do in this next few minutes is answer, what are the sessions, what, what are they going to cover, who's going to be taking them, and where do you go? Um, and then lastly, an opportunity to sign up. So seminar leaders, please make your way up here, get ready to burn while they are. In other news, you may have noticed there are no official photographers for this gathering. So you've all just been promoted. <laughs> Why don't you take a look quick, quickly at the hashtag. Let's bang it up on the screen if we can. Another one, another one. Uh, there's a hashtag coming. Okay, hashtag sicker on the top there. Sorry. Oh, sorry, guys. Bear with me. It's been a long week. Look up. Won't you please uh, use your smartphone, take your, use your camera. Let's hashtag take as many photographs as we can, and let's, um, uh, we'll be able to collate these and put them together. Okay, so we've got it. You've got your hashtag. Are you ready, guys? You've got 20 seconds. Now, we know they're going to hit 30, but that's why we told them 20. 20 seconds to tell us what is in what is your seminar in a nutshell. Mr. Butterworth, are you ready? On your marks, get set. Okay, the gospel is fire and power. If we're going to reach Africa, we need to access the supernatural means of God. And this seminar is going to help us do that. We're going to explore how we do it, why we do it, and what we must do. And I just want to encourage you, as Trudy said, get your skates on and be there. Seminar two, that's the one for you, <laughs> number two. Okay, just remember that. Healthy teams, effective teams, Ryan and I are going to team together as we lead the seminar. We've broken it down to things that work and things that don't really work. So seven C's and six D's, and they are, if you come along, you'll find out. Okay, so number four, uh, growing in diversity and social engagement is, a, is on the back of uh, Bunisi's talk, going to delve into some more detail around how to Build unity in diversity, which is something that every single church throughout Africa needs to grow in. And then how to unify around a social vision for change, which is something that Africa really needs. 
great. <laughs> well done, Ryan. Um, so in, in our seminar, we're going to talk about um, three different worldviews. They are fear-motivated, guilt-motivated, and shame-motivated. And the people that we are called to reach will uh, best identify with one of those worldviews. And so we want to talk about how to communicate the gospel effectively to people in your community based on the way that they see the world. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Great. Session number five, when we look around our cities and our countries, we see injustice and pain and suffering. But God has not left us alone to wait for a savior to come riding in from an airplane across the seas. In every single one of your churches are strengths and assets that can be used to combine and harness them together to reach people for Christ and for their good. Session number five, find out how uh, a start of a conversation of how you and your church can address issues of injustice in your city and your community. Seminar number one, and uh, we are the name it and claim it, <laughs> blab it and grab it. It's another gospel, the prosperity gospel, and back of, at the back of what Bonis was preaching, it's the language Africans understand, money. That's what we're going to be discussing, the prosperity, <laughs> the prosperity gospel, how it is a, a threat and a danger to the true gospel of Christ. Thanks so much, Temba. Yeah, okay, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, so many seminars, so little time, right? Yes, you can only choose two if you have not yet signed up. That's what the hashtag was up, uh, not the hashtag, the QR code. Won't you please sign up? The first session will be starting at 1.30 after lunch. And so uh, all the venues are on the screen. Uh, there's a map as well we've put together for you to find your way there. Maybe we can just toggle between those two for a little bit and give us a chance to orientate ourselves. Looking forward to growing and being equipped with you guys in the sessions. Let's make our way towards lunch and get settled in. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're only riding after two. It's normal.